0: Tonight, I want to talk about a story that hits home for me personally. Uh, many of you, if you were attending Crosspoint about three years ago, heard this story uh, in church over three weeks. Me and a friend of mine named Dan came and shared our story uh, about three years ago. It was about three months after I became a Christian, and so now three years later, uh, I'm excited to be able to share it again with you. Um, it is an interesting time of the year for me. Uh, I have been married now for six months at the end of February. My wife, my beautiful wife is right here. Hi Sarah. All right. So um, that's a very interesting journey and I will talk about that a little bit later and just the challenges that come with marriage. But uh, first off, I want to uh, just talk about um, what God has done uh, in my life. And so looking back at my short life, it is incredible to think of how forgiving and loving God is. It's, it's incredible to, to just try to ponder his grace, his mercy, and how he actually looks at us. Um, God is a big God. And to come down and live with us, okay, is, is huge, huge. In John chapter 1, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And about 13 verses before that, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That Word, that God, put on human skin and came and lived among people, talked with people. Jesus, when he came here, actually lived in the rougher area. Jesus did not live in a great neighborhood Uh, A lot of people, when Jesus came around, would ask questions like, what good could come from Nazareth? Jesus did not live in a good area. Uh, When he was here, he surrounded himself with questionable people. Um, He surrounded himself with uh, fishermen, with tax collectors, which were looked at by society as thieves, and he surrounded himself with many, many sinners. Uh, Jesus did things that were radical for that time period, and... um, he still is doing those radical things in the hearts of people. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Just because this is something that happened 2,000 years ago does not mean it is not a very real thing for you and for I. Okay? This is a very, very real God, a very, very loving God, and a very, very perfect God. And his forgiveness is beautiful. It was frightening for me when I actually realized that I was lost. You see, being lost really isn't a big deal if you don't know it. Because you don't know you're lost. You don't know that there's a problem. But it's the moment that you actually realize that you're lost. Where the weight of all of your sin and all your mistakes is bearing down on your shoulders. It is probably the most frightening thing. A person could go through is the realization that they are lost that they're separated from God that's how I felt uh, when I woke up one evening desperation overtook me and death was creeping at my feet I want to rewind the clock back okay back to 2005 I was 12 years old and it was the first time that I had ever experimented with drugs. Drugs were a huge thing for me growing up. They were a big deal. Um, I have an older brother. All of my siblings are older. I'm the youngest in my family and the youngest in the house. Come on. Woo-woo. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right. So, I'm the youngest in my family. Uh, all of my friends when I was 12 years old were either in 8th grade or in high school. So, I was in 6th grade and all of my friends were older. And so they were all experimenting with drugs and alcohol and partying and doing things like that. And so I was like, okay, you know what, I'm in. Uh, curiosity overtook me. And because of a damaged past, my parents got divorced in 1999 when I was just like five years old. And because of this damaging past and this anger that had accumulated in my life, I decided to take that pain out on myself by numbing that pain and trying to push it away and push it aside and dismiss it like it didn't exist. Okay, and so this pain continued in my life. I, what I thought was numbing the pain of my life was actually creating more and more issues, and the issues didn't resurface until years after this thing started, but the pain never left, and the more I numbed the pain, the more the pain intensified, and the more the pain intensified. The realer and realer, the depression in my heart got to me. The realer and realer, the, the hurt. The realer and realer, the anger came out to other people, to friends, loved ones, family. And by high school, I couldn't go a day without ingesting some form of a narcotic. I'd wake up in the morning, I would tell myself, I need to get high, I need this. Much like we hunger and we thirst, that is the feeling that I had for drugs. That became top priority for me. Water and food and shelter and all of that became secondary to drugs. And as I got older, I began selling and using these drugs more rapidly. Okay. And the interesting thing about this aspect of my life is... I enjoyed it, okay? I think there's something about sin that is attractive. Why else would we do it, right? If lying to parents or skipping school or deciding to do the wrong thing wasn't so attractive, it wouldn't feel so easy when we actually did it. You see, the only thing actually keeping us from sin is a fear to get caught and what I learned is the more and more that I got caught the more and more I thought I was learning how not to get caught the next time and as I was I I thought I was I was beating this system called life and outsmarting everybody else what I didn't know is that uh, my family and police and people like this people of authority were gathering around me to catch me red-handed, and so because of this pain in my life, because of uh, you know a lot of terrible things that were going on in my life, I was I was involved in a, in a pretty large drug ring in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I had lived. And my father found out what I was doing. Uh, these these powers of authority found out what I was doing and did not want me to get killed. I was 15 years old and I was hanging out with 20 year olds, trying to sell drugs and trying to act like a, a big guy, and when you're 15 years old and you look like me, okay, when I was 15, I looked like I was about 12, you get robbed a lot, okay, and my father shipped me away from Charlotte, North Carolina here because he did not want me to get killed because of what I was doing, and he found out how deep into this drug game that I was, and so... I moved to Illinois just before my 16th birthday, leaving this relationship of, of brokenness behind between my father and, and his whole entire side of the family. They resented me. They didn't like me. I stole from a lot of them. I did a lot of terrible things to them. And so there was this lack of trust, this lack of of a desire to even keep going and trying to extend a hand of love to me because they were just fed up. And so I moved up here with my mom, and so it's, I'm 16 at the time, and you see, i I wasn't, too, I wasn't too upset about this. I wasn't too upset about moving up and living with my mom because my mom and I have been doing and using drugs together since I had been in seventh grade. Okay, and so when I moved up here, I knew that while I was getting away from everybody that I knew, I was going to live with someone who accepted me for what I did in a terrible way by doing it with me. Okay, my mom loved me in a, in a way that she thought Uh, was good. My mom's father passed away in 2001, and I don't remember my mom, and she hasn't been the same person ever since then, and I think that had a lot to do with why my mom was raising me the way that I was, because as she was numbing the pain, she was thinking that that was the best way to solve the problem, and so she allowed me to do the same thing in my life, and so my mom and I are using drugs together, and of course, I keep getting in more and more trouble, I start to miss school, it's my sophomore year. I had been getting A's and B's for a long time and probably about eighth grade, my grades started to slip. I started to not show up for school, I started to just skip out. Uh, I wanted to sell drugs, I figured I didn't need a high school degree to do that and so I continued to just kind of progress down that pattern. Just before I turned 18, okay, it's been two years of living in Illinois. And I had spent two months in rehab, been arrested numerous times, spent two months in jail, and continued to move on to these harder and harder drug habits. I was dying on the inside. And at this point, I wanted to die. I didn't want to keep going. I didn't want to live on. Okay? I didn't want to. Life was hard. And life hurt. And I was in pain. Suicidal thoughts began to creep into my mind. These thoughts became normal to me. They weren't different. I thought it was normal for people to want to kill themselves. And I was homeless. I want to read you guys a scripture about Jesus. It really, really captures who he is. And at this point in my life, at my lowest point in my life, he started to pull me in. He started to draw me in close, okay? This relationship with God is so real. It's so amazing. But for me, it had to start with pain because I had to sympathize with the sufferings of Christ. I had to die to myself. And so, in this pain, God is drawing me near to himself. And I, I want to remind you guys of the goodness of God in this and the, the, the power of God in this. In, in Hebrews 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is upholding the entire universe by the word of his power. By Christ's word alone, the molecules that keep things like chairs and this stage together are being upheld. If Christ can do that, he can definitely change a heart. He can change a life. And through his life, he has changed the entire, entire fabric of this world. I want you guys to be reminded of that this evening. And I want you guys to see that through my pain. My greatest joy is that you would see Jesus through my suffering. About three months after I turned 18, I found myself in a familiar place, except this time I, I wasn't getting out. That's a glamour shot, isn't it? I was facing a prison sentence of five to seven years. I had violated a felony probation, and I wasn't getting out. My dad was done. He wasn't going to bail me out of jail this time, and he was just going to let the system take care of me, Okay. Now when I look at that picture, I have no idea what I would tell that kid to turn to Christ. I have no clue what I would tell that kid to turn to Christ. Because he didn't want Jesus. He did not want Jesus. That kid used to rip pages out of the Bible and roll weed up in it and smoke it. That kid did not want anything to do with Jesus. But God And His power changed that kid's heart. He changed that kid's heart through the story of one man affecting all men that come to Him. You see, while I was in jail this time, I was sitting in a cell reading a book. It was about a week or so after I had got in there, and I was awaiting a court court case that was coming about two weeks afterwards. And this correctional officer, his name is Vickery, it was in the Tazewell County Jail in Pekin, came into my cell and started to tell me a story about his life. He came in and he he just kind of dropped a weird line on me. He said, I don't know why, but I feel like I have to tell you this. And I was like, okay, Um, what? You know, I'm trying to read this book. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. But he begins to pour his heart out to me. He begins to tell me that his marriage used to be on a, uh, the brink of divorce. He had been with his wife for about eight years and his marriage was on the, uh, uh, on the pit of collapsing. And a fellow coworker has ended up uh, hearing about this kind of through the grapevine. People were talking about this guy's marriage behind his back and um, this guy, a Christian, instead of uh, catering to that temptation of gossip, decided to disengage from that conversation and approach Vickery himself and ask him about his marriage. So he asks Vickery about his marriage and they begin this conversation and this this co-worker of Vickery, another correctional officer in this jail, begins to share the gospel with him. Soon after this, Vickery accepts Christ, okay? Uh, God transforms his entire life and then his wife gets saved, okay? And now, five months after all this happened, their marriage is flourishing in Christ. They see the beauty of what dying to the selfish desires of your heart is and how that affects a life in marriage okay and and it changed their entire marriage forever i got to have a conversation with the correctional officer that shared the gospel with vickery shortly after because he was my boss uh, while i worked in there i was a tender which is a trustee i worked in the kitchens in taswell county jail and so me and this guy got to have conversations very often and um, it was an amazing opportunity in my life where God really just drew me into himself. I got to see God on a very real level, and it was the really first time I experienced this. The second time I really experienced God on a huge level, I was in a courtroom about two weeks later, and this judge drops a bomb on me. My lawyer and I are fighting for five years in prison. We, we knew that I was going to prison, and so we were going to try to fight for as, as least amount of time as possible. Okay, and so if I would have got sentenced for five years, they would have given me something called day for day. I would have maybe done three years and been able to get out. So we th- we, that was a good deal. We were trying to get that, and the prosecution of the courtroom drops this bomb on me. They come up to my lawyer and start talking to him, and I'm sitting all the way across the courtroom, and my lawyer kind of makes a funny face at the, the prosecutor for Tazewell County, and then comes up to me and uh, hands me this piece of paper and says, I want you to sign this. And I was like, well, you're my lawyer. you got to tell me what this is before I'm signing it. I don't know what I'm signing. And he says, instead of continuing their case today, they want to release you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, they want to release you. And I'm like, well, what do they want me to do? What's the catch here? And he says, they want to release you. Uh, They want to put you on a waiting list for drug and alcohol treatment. And they want to uh, give you two years of conditional discharge. We can't find your probation violation paperwork. So we can't charge you with violating probation in this courtroom today. So instead of doing that, what they're going to do is they're going to put you on conditional discharge because you can't be on two different probations at once. Conditional discharge is like a minor form of probation where you don't have to check in with a police officer and they can't drop by your, your address. All you really have to do is let them know where you're living and um, not get arrested. And so I'm like, okay, I'll take it. And so I signed this paper and I'm like, rejoicing at the fact that I got out, completely staring at the face of the grace and forgiveness of God, right? Because I'm supposed to go to prison and I'm getting out for no reason, absolutely no reason. There's, there's, there's no reason why I should be getting out. And the amazing thing is I got out, went to the store, bought a pipe, and started smoking again. And about a month later, it's the night before I go into rehab. I decide that, you know, um, mind you, the depression in my life is just growing. And this is the night that I decided that I was going to kill myself. I was going to do it, and I was going to do it well, and I was going to do it to where nobody knew that I, I was trying to die. And so I threw this party. I p- bought all the drugs for the party, and there was, you know, it was in an apartment in North Peoria. And so we, we start partying, and around 2 a.m., my body gives out. I was on so many drugs that my heart was beating so fast that it just stopped. And at this point, I blacked out. And my friend Samson tells the story like this. He says that my body began to convulse. For about 10 seconds, my body started to convulse. And then I fell on the floor and convulsed a little more and then just stopped and laid still on the ground for about a minute and a half. He said, I wasn't breathing, and I wasn't moving, and nobody there knew how to check a pulse, but he said for as as much as he knew, it looked like I was dead, and everybody was kind of freaking out for about a minute and a half, and then out of nowhere, my body just kind of sprang up like a springboard, and I was gasping for air like I just came out of the water drowning, and I found out about this about five months after, after I got saved. I didn't know what to do with this story. I didn't know what happened. I, after talking to a few phys- physicians, the kind of uh, diagnosis or conclusion that the only thing that they could come up with is that my body went into cardiac arrest and my heart stopped for about a minute and a half. And um, for all I knew, I could have been dead. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. It is frightening when you actually realize that you are lost. It's, the, it's one thing to be lost, but it's another to realize it. To actually realize that you have no idea what you're doing. It's like the weight of all your sin finally resonates with your soul. That's how I felt when I woke up that night. Desperation overtook me. And life began to embrace me. After being picked up from Peoria the following morning, I was taken to rehab at Chestnut Health Systems in Bloomington. Over the next few weeks, I would spend time wrestling with my soul. And in March of 2012, while I was in drug and alcohol treatment, God saved me. This was only the beginning because it was on the floor of rehab that I ended up thanking God for the transformation that was, that was overtaking me in my life. On that floor, I cried out to him for the very first time. I was saved. You know, for a lot of people, that's where they think the story ends. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what I was doing. Somebody want to read that? Anyone? 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 Mackenzie, take a shot at that. I love that, that last part right there. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you, that belief. You see, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, and, and the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word is at work in us who believe. The word of God is at work in those that believe. And this is not the word of men. This is not John standing up here telling you a good story. This is a story inspired by the very word of God, worked out by the very hands of God, and transformed by the grace of God. Because this is not a story that I deserve. But this is a story that he freely gives to me because it was paid for by somebody else. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus was the currency that paid for my salvation. And the word of God that dwells in us that believe through the Holy Spirit, that spirit that dwells in us is a deposit in our assurance and our our certainty that we will inherit the kingdom of God when it comes in glory. This is the story of Scripture. That God gets the credit for saving people who not only need it, but don't deserve it. You see, the moment that we feel entitled to our salvation, the moment that we feel entitled to be saved, the moment that we feel like we deserve it, it's the moment where we miss the beauty of the gospel. Because the beauty of the gospel is that we are wrong. It's the one time in my life where I take joy in being wrong. Because if you ask my wife, I do not like being wrong. But when I look at the beauty of Jesus, I'm grateful that I'm wrong and that he's perfect and that he is right because it's only then that my soul was restored. Okay, this is the beginning of the journey. And if you ask any Christian in here, it is a journey. It has ups, it has downs, and it is incredible. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 it says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. As believers, we get to partake in the divine nature. And through that, we escape the corruption of this world, the weight of this world, You see, because when I realized that I was lost, the weight of this world was on my shoulders, the weight of all my sin, all my mistakes. And it was the most frightening thing in the world for me. But it was exactly what I needed because it's very, very scary to realize that. But it's very, very beautiful to see that the forgiveness of God covers every single piece of that. And you see, as Christians, God does not only clean the blackboard of your life. He does not only clean that off. He takes his divine pen and writes every single good work of Jesus, and that righteousness is now inside of you and on you. And that's what God sees when he looks at you. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the good of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. Because through the blood of Jesus, we are given that gift. It is so hard to follow this Jesus. It is. You know, the the past three years for me have been an incredible journey. One of the, the, the biggest falls for me after getting saved was finding out that one of my close friends back in North Carolina got murdered. He got a, it was a guy that I used to sell drugs with. He got um, shot. And it was, it was, it was terrible. I, I felt terrible. I ended up losing my job because I was so depressed. I just kind of hid away for a few days. and it, it made me realize very early in my Christian walk that I was not going to be Uh, living a painless life. But that instead of living a painless life, that Christ would define the pain in my life. That Jesus would now give my purpose, or give pain a purpose. For some reason, in our pain as believers, we hold on a little tighter to God when something's on the line. We're stretched a little more. You know, athletes in here know that you get better when you train until it hurts, right? And through that pain, your body perseveres through that pain and you become a better athlete. The same is with following Jesus. because you're pushed as a Christian in this world. You are. If you're a believer in here and you go to high school, you feel that burden daily. Whether it's in science class and your your teacher says something about evolution or something that, that you're just, you're like, huh? You're, you're, you're faced with that pain. You're confronted with that pain every single day. If you have a friend or if you know somebody who's close to you that is not following Jesus and is living a life that, is defined by sin. You feel that pain because as we suffer as Christians, we feel the suffering of others. We sympathize with the suffering of others and we, we empathize with that. We feel that pain. The biggest pain that I feel as a Christian very often is when I'm getting the chance to talk to somebody who does not follow Jesus because in those moments I want to weep. because I understand the pain that they're going through. I see it. But they're lost and they don't know it. I can't make you realize you're lost. I can't make that person realize they're lost. God does that. All I can do is listen and share the gospel. Friends, is he worth it? Is he worth that pain? Yes. Because of the joy that we receive through him. It is such a joyous journey to follow Jesus. And that sounds weird because I just talked a lot about pain and now I'm talking about joy but as Christians, we partake in a very peculiar kind of joy because it's found in a very peculiar God, a God that is completely unlike any one of us and incomparable to any single thing in this universe. He's peculiar. He's very odd to us. And the joy we receive through him is odd. But I promise you, I promise you, it is, it is worth it. It is so worth it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, this is a verse that, that defines my life. However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. I want to close by telling you guys that this is this is good news. Don't forget that. Don't forget that this is the best news in the world. This is the best news that you will ever hear your entire life, your entire journey. It is good news. The message of the cross is beautiful. It's heartwarming. It's joyful. It transforms lives. Just because I'm in here telling you the story of my transformed life does not mean that there aren't numerous in this room. I know numerous people here who I've talked to who have transformed lives. We all have the same story. We do. You might not have a mugshot, but that's not what makes your story a story. What makes your story a story is the impact that the blood of Jesus has on that story. We have the opportunity to be united with a great and beautiful God. A God that cannot be described in human words. A God that cannot be imagined by our thoughts. A God who cannot be captured by a message. We only get a piece. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste that peace that we have the opportunity to partake in. I promise you you won't regret it. I promise you. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible to me to have this opportunity to, to come out here and to share this with you guys. Um, it's a very hard story for me to tell now. Uh, I get more and more uh, sad as I share it because um, God just brings my heart back to that place of brokenness. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because it reminds me of who I was without Jesus And I'm grateful for that because I get to share that story now with you. So, I'm here every week. You can talk to my wife. You can ask her uh, anything you want. Um, I can speak for her in saying we're very open books. You can ask us any questions you would like. Um, Please do not ask just us. There are many transformed lives in this room. Many. And they are just aching for an opportunity to share what this good news has done for them. They all love Jesus with a burning passion. And I hope that you ask them how God has transformed their life. And I hope that you can share a story of how he's transformed yours. Let me pray. God, we're so thankful for the the opportunity that we have in prayer. God, we have an opportunity to approach you, to talk with you, to share our heart with you. And God, you know the things that we need before we ask of it. God, you know who we are. God, I pray that you would reveal to us who we are. God, that we would come to grips with the reality of who we are apart from you. And God, I pray that that, that that would let us cling to you. That through that you would draw us near to yourself. You would pull us in close and show us more and more of who you are each day. I thank you for the adventure of following you, the joy of following you, and the excitement of following you. I thank you that that through your blood we can share our stories together, ultimately pointing to your story, the story of, of, of a saving God. Thank you for who you are and who you make us in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.